right. Welcome, everyone. We are here with Dr. E. Michael Jones. We are going to discuss the recent ADL hit piece calling for a purge of various YouTube channels that includes E. Michael Jones' YouTube channel, True News, my YouTube channel. Once again, this is the second time that they have done this. They were successful the last time in getting a few channels purged, but this is directly after, of course, Sasha Baron Cohen's speech calling for Facebook and YouTube and Twitter to do more to fight against hate speech, which doesn't even exist in America legally. Dr. E. Michael Jones, thank you for taking the time today. Thank you for inviting me. So Good I to guess be we'll here. just yeah, yeah, good to, good to talk to you again. We've, we've spoken before. I guess we'll just start off with the um, with the ADL, since this is the top news story. Now, people call you anti-Semitic. The ADL calls you anti-Semitic. The ADL calls me these sorts of labels. Just complete and utter defamation, of course. Um, you want to give us your thought and your in- insight on the, uh, the ADL and this recent hit piece, as well as sort of the history of the ADL? Go ahead, take it, take it from here. Yeah, uh, we, we, this is not the first run-in we've had with the ADL. Uh, they they put me on their list about uh, ten years ago when I wrote a book called The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Uh, you can uh, buy that book and you can judge for yourself whether this is anti-Semitism according to any definition of the term. But uh, over this period of time, uh, they had to. Uh, adjust their uh, attitude toward me. The, the first attitude is dynamic silence. A man by the name of uh, uh, Ginsburg brought this out in a book called Fatal Embrace, where he described the tactics that the ADL had, has evolved over these years. Uh, once you get past a certain point, they have to uh, mention your name. And so we're, I'm honored that they mentioned my name now. This doesn't change the fact that uh, the ADL has no right whatsoever to determine who should be allowed to be on the Internet. Who gave these people this right? And the, and the more you look into it, you realize uh, this any, any organization has more credibility than the ADL. So how did the ADL get started? They got started in reaction to the, um, the lynching of, of, uh, of uh, Leo, uh, Leo Frank, the Frank case uh, where he was uh, convicted of uh, murdering some young girl. And after that, it became clear that uh, they were in the business of basically taking money from Jewish criminals and uh, using that money uh, to protect them from prosecution. Uh, I covered this in, a, in a, uh, a, an article I did uh, on uh, it's called Jewish privilege, but it's also about uh, the ADL. Uh, the ADL are the this is the group uh, that, that got started by taking money from people like Meyer Lansky and, and later uh, people like uh, criminals like Mo Dalitz and uh, using that money to uh, pr- prosecute their agenda, but also using it to keep the Jewish criminals out of jail. This continued all the way up to the present. Uh, the uh, the prosecutor that gave um, Jeffrey Epstein his sweetheart deal was given an award by the ADL. So the, the job of the ADL is to keep Jewish criminals out of jail, and they get a lot of money from these criminals uh, in, in order to do that. Mo Dalitz was allowed to go legit. Uh, he, he was uh, involved in the, the Jewish Navy uh, in uh, Cleveland during the Prohibition era. Uh, he then got into gambling casinos in uh, places like uh, – 
Newport, Kentucky, uh, across the river from uh, Cincinnati. Uh, he was driven out of town by a Catholic prosecutor uh, with the collaboration of Robert Kennedy, ended up in Las Vegas. And after giving a lot of money to the ADL, they gave Mo Dalitz their Torches of Liberty Award, 1984. 1984 was also the year that the ADL got in bed with the FBI. Uh, this meant that uh, they would advise the FBI not to go after criminals like Meyer Lansky or like Mo Dalitz, but to go after people that they designated hate groups, which means people like you and me who have the temerity to criticize these people uh, on the Internet. So the the, right. the, 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 the term anti-Semitism gets used a lot. But what we're talking about here, uh, as Joe Sobern used to say, is an anti-Semite used to be someone who uh, didn't like Jews. And now it's someone that Jews don't like. So up to, up to the latest point, you, you and I were both uh, uh, listed now, uh, uh, put on a list of people that, who should be banned from the Internet. Now, my reaction here is the ADL is really now operating from a position of weakness. By doing, the, by doing what they did, they've established their position as outside of the Silicon Valley uh, oligarchs who make these determinations. They, they are making demands on these people. Now, before, you had the sense that the ADL was on the inside and that their notion of hate speech had been internalized by the oligarchs, by the people who run Silicon Valley, by the people who run YouTube and Google and places like that, and that they did it automatically. Those, country, those companies automatically uh, did the bidding of the, of the ADL. By making the claim today, uh, they have exposed that as not being the case. So what we're seeing now is basically a conflict brewing now between the ADL and uh, Google, Facebook, the whole social ma uh, 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 social media platforming operation. Right. Yeah, they wrote so so in the beginning. I mean, this is just a, basically what this is is just a reiteration, a copy paste of the recent list that they put out. Although some of the people that were on the original list aren't on there any 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 longer because. The ADL was successful in taking them down. James Alsop, a few others. I think Nick Fuentes was on the original. He was on the original list. He's not on this new list. And uh, so this says, following Sasha Baron Cohen's speech, here is the ADL's short list of social media accounts that should have been removed a long time ago. Just outright calling for people to be banned. And, and they start this off like this. In his remarkable address at the ADL's Never Is Now Summit... <laughs> is now summit remarkable address last week the comedian and actor sasha baron cohen who once wrote a song called throw the jew down the well by the way called out major social media platforms including facebook and twitter for failing to stop the spread of anti-semitism and hate on their platforms and the ones that they list they go through a long list of many different people a lot of whom i, I have never heard of but they call out uh, steven anderson true news e michael jones and myself, they're the Red Elephants. They say that the Red Elephants is a California-based extreme-right media entity headed by Vincent James Fox. The site promotes conspiracy theories, anti-Semitic beliefs, and white supremacist mantras, none of which are true, by the way. And as you said, the original meaning of anti-Semitism was that you just hate Jews because they're Jewish. I don't. I'm sure you don't. I, I, I don't hate anyone. As a matter of fact, I'm taught to love 
anyone, including enemies, and pray for many people. But this is these are just like buzzwords, anti-Semitism, racism, things like this that they throw out there to turn people into social pariahs, to get them banned from their platform, and to dissuade people from associating with those people. It's not working anymore. These these words are losing their power I, for. I, Go ahead. I agree with you. I think the fact that they had to make a statement like this is a sign that it's not working. That 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 was a, a death sentence. Anti-Semitism was a death sentence. And now it's it's not working anymore. But even even more extreme, I think, in this speech was when Cohen says, uh, you know, these people who are in control of these operations, if they don't do this, we think they should go to jail. Well, whoa, like, wait, wait a minute. You mean Sasha Sasha Cohen's going to send you to jail if you don't do what the ADL is doing? This is this is pretty strong stuff, and it really I think shows that they're operating from a position of weakness now. Because l l let's face it here, the ADL shows up at at the uh, places like uh, YouTube. The the lady who's in charge of YouTube has already said that we believe in free speech. So now you got to do the bidding of this group of people. You're going to take the heat, ma'am. You know, they're going to they're going to get off, come off as the winners when you take the heat. It's like I'll hold your coat while you go out and beat these people up. Uh, so, in other words, all of the burden is on you and all of the reward goes to us. I don't I don't see this working. I don't see this working. I think it's going to backfire. Who who is going to cave into threats like this? Who would who would do this? I think you, what you do is when you make threats like this, this uh, like these outrageous threats that Cohen made during this speech of sending these people to jail if they don't do what the ADL likes, uh, it's going to cause right. the whole thing to backfire. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, you know, th what they're saying here is is that the, um, the longtime anti-Semite and traditionalist Catholic writer E. Michael Jones uses his YouTube channel and books to promote the idea that Jews are responsible for perpetrating attacks against the Catholic Church, as well as against standards, social stability, and global political order. He portrays Judaism as inherently threatening towards Christianity. He also describes Jews as outlaws and subversives, and claims that Judaism exhibits a particularly malignant spirit. E. Michael Jones' YouTube channel has over 51,000, almost 52,000 subscribers now, and 566,000 views. They call me an extreme right media entity, and they say that my channel has 295,000 subscribers and 36 million views. Actually, we have over 100 million views on my channel. I had to delete a whole bunch of videos, though, and YouTube deleted a whole bunch of videos as well. Um, but this whole thing, it's like, it's like here's, here's my thing with this. It's like you can criticize any other group of people. Mainly what I do is talk about the country of Israel and the government of Israel, and this somehow is anti-Semitic, talking about Zionism, things like this. This somehow is anti-Semitic, according to the ADL. Uh, the problem is, is that there have even been, I think, I can't remember who it was, but they visited the um, the State Department. They changed, I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, but the State Department changed the definition, definition of anti-Semitism. They constantly change it. And now it includes ridiculing or criticizing Zionism. So some people went to the State Department, and they said that, well, saying that Zionism means that some Jews are maybe more loyal to Israel than the country that they reside in is actually one of the fundamental premises of Zionism. This is what this person was saying, and he was Jewish. He went to the State Department, he said, Theodor Herzl himself, the founder of Zionism, 
said that Jews are one people, and therefore it is useless for them to be loyal to the country in which they reside. And so when I talk about Israel itself or the government of Israel in, res- in the regard of like foreign policy, things like this, I only say the things that I know to be true, that I know to be fact. And if I am proven wrong on something, I won't hold that position any longer. So according to the ADL, what you say, what I say, things that have been proven to be true, things that are historical fact are hate speech or are anti-Semitic. Give us a give us a little history of the word anti-Semitic. Do you know where it was, like who first used it, who made it popular? Yeah. I, I've been I've been making claims uh, that uh, it was Wilhelm Marr uh, in his book. A book came out in 1871 called Der Sieg des Judentums über Christentum über das Christentum, the the, the victory of Jew, Jewishness over Christianity. And one of my German correspondents says, no, it it came out first. Um, for, uh, ten years before that, and it was a Jew who came up with the term. Uh, uh, the man's name was uh, Steinschneider. Uh, well, whatever. Uh, I mean, okay, uh, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm getting feedback because uh, my my uh, my uh, my documentation gets more accurate doing this. But even if even if Marr wasn't the first man to say it, he was the man who made the term famous, and the term uh, referred to uh, a racial understanding of what it meant to be Jewish which was the rage at that time because everybody was involved in biology. Darwin was a big, uh, a big influence on people. People wanted their own countries. People were talking about race because it was a, a thoroughly materialistic age. And so that's right. Anti-Semitism in this regard meant that th- this was a group of people who had were determined uh, because of their biology, because of DNA. OK, I never said that. I never believed it. And uh, what I tried to do when I wrote the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit was go back beyond that terminology to the original terminology. And to do that, I had to go back to the gospel and the whole conflict between Jews and Christians in the gospel. The gospel of St. John, for example, who St. John uses the term the Jews 71 times in his gospel. And there are many Jews out there who consider his gospel anti-Semitic. Well, that's preposterous because the term anti-Semitic didn't come into usage until about 1800 years after he wrote his gospel. Right. But if you want to say that the gospel of St. John is anti-Jewish, I agree with that. I agree with that claim. Uh, It is anti-Jewish and Christianity was anti-Jewish because what you're talking about is a civil war among God's chosen people. When the Messiah came, they had to decide whether they were going to accept him or reject him. And the Jews who accepted Jesus Christ, they became known as Christians. And the Jews who rejected him are known as Jews. And that and, 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 and the point of the book is that in rejecting, if you reject Jesus Christ, you're rejecting the Logos, which is how St. John described him. And if you're rejecting Logos, you're rejecting the order of the universe. And if you reject that, you're a revolutionary. And that has been the legacy ever since. Now, that critique has nothing whatsoever to do with race. It's all about religion. So the term anti-Semitism cannot apply to it. If, if you apply the DNA test to what happened at that crucial moment in history, it doesn't work because everybody had basically the same DNA. They were all members of, a, of the same type of ethnic group. And the only division between them was whether they accepted Christ or rejected them, rejected him. 
And that's the division that has perdured to this day. And that's why they're mad at me. So here we go again. You know, they are making claims that we are anti-Semitic because we are saying things that Jews themselves say. So, for right. example, if, if you say uh, the Jews uh, are behind gay marriage, you will be called an anti-Semite. Well, Al Goldstein but, said that. Right? Al, Didn't he say no, that? Amy, Amy Dean said it was behind gay marriage. She said it in Tacoon magazine. If you say the Jews are behind pornography, then you will be called an anti-Semite. But all you're doing is quoting Al Goldstein, who brags right, about with it. pornography. Or, or, Sorry, right. right. Or, or, or a more respectable source is uh, Professor Abrams who wrote the, this article, lifted all of my material out of my book and then wrote his own article. And the only thing that's different is that I say pornography is a bad thing and he says it's a good thing. But we're both in perfect agreement that the Jews are behind pornography. Well, are, am I supposed to be banned from YouTube as an anti-Semite because I'm saying the same thing that a Jew said? This makes no sense. This is this is doomed to fail. And I think this is a, an act right now, an act of desperation on the part of the ADL, which is a, a, an organization that's losing its hold on the mind of the American people. It's well, yeah, simple. same thing with the SPLC, same thing with a lot of these organizations that are just out there to defame. I mean, really, their their sole goal is to contribute to cancel culture. I mean, that's really what they've become. I have a lot to get to, though. I want to get to uh, Ben Shapiro. He has called people like Ron Paul and Pat Buchanan anti-Semitic. This, this word, obviously, this label gets floated around for a lot of people. Uh, he's called Ron Paul, Pat Buchanan anti-Semitic. Ron Paul, very interesting. Ron Paul's, I think, that the most famous fight was his fight against the Federal Reserve. He would constantly call it the Federal Reserve. Why would fighting against the Federal Reserve be anti-Semitic? Is the Federal Reserve Jewish? Can you give us a little insight on that? Yes, it is. The, the Jew is always the head of the Federal Reserve, and and to get in, and when you get to start. So, who, who are some of the people deeper, that were behind a, the Federal Reserve? Like, who are some of the people at the head? Well, Greenspan, for example, Greenspan, uh, Greenspan Alan Greenspan was a a a, 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 a devil a, a disciple of uh, Ann Rand. Now, now, not all of not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. And the, what we're talking about is that turning point in, in American history that I've talked about before, when the WASP ruling class passed out of existence and it was succeeded by what is now basically a Jewish ruling class. This happened um, 1978, I think, was a watershed year in this regard because. Uh, that was the year both Nelson and John D. Rockefeller died. And it was during this period of time that people like uh, Woody Allen would show up on the cover of Time magazine as an American genius. But there's a deeper reason. OK, Paul Folker was not a Jew, but he was involved in usury and usury was a Jewish occupation for 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 millennia. For millennia, it was a Jewish occupation and the, the, the Jews gained their power over Western culture, largely through usury. Beginning but the last with, two, Bernanke and, and Janet Yellen, the, were they both Jewish? Yes. I think they were, right? Yeah, okay. Yes. So, yeah, so the the most recent two were Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke, and then Alan Greenspan. So I guess, yeah, I guess I understand, yeah. I think that's why he was, he was uh, uh, this is why he was accusing Ron Paul of uh, kind of uh, secondhand anti-Semitism by uh, attacking the Fed. 
But the bigger issue is usury. And usury has been a Jewish issue from the time of, well, I mean, for the entire 2,000 years of, of, of Christianity. First, it was, I mean, I cover this in my book, uh, Barren Metal, A History of the Conflict Between Labor and Usury. But, I mean, th those are the terms of this conflict. The Catholic position has always been that labor is the source of all value. That is also happens to be Karl Marx's position, but it also happens to be John Locke's position and Adam Smith's position. So there are a lot of people, uh, influential people who feel that, uh, but it's never been the Jewish position. The Jewish position has always been uh, the position of Shylock, which is basically that his ducats can copulate faster than Laban's ewes and rams. And if your ducats can copulate, meaning you can earn money through compound interest, then you don't need labor. That's the conflict today. We have a cotton right. economy that is overburdened with debt. And, and, and in the book, I tried to explain that what is capitalism? Capitalism is state-sponsored usury. Capitalism is the systematic appropriation of all surplus value. Those two concepts go hand in hand. Because of this crushing debt, the creditor appropriates all surplus value. And as a result, the people run out of money. The government runs out of money. Everybody runs out of money because all of the money is going to pay off compound interest, which can never be paid off. Okay, you can never keep up with compound interest. And so as a result, you have invariably you're going to have political unrest. What was because the government invariably when it when it run, when it runs out of money because it can't pay off the creditors anymore who basically own the national debt it takes it out on the people and it puts taxes on the people so what what caused the yellow vest protest it was a gasoline tax taxes right it was austerity what caused the what caused the, the rioting in 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 Lebanon the same thing. It was. I think this was an internet tax. Right. Uh, what's causing the rioting in Hong Kong? It's usury. Uh, this time through the real estate market. The real estate market is so out of control, uh, but it's usury that's driving the price of of housing up there. It, it, this it, you have this consistently, consistently throughout history. The, the debt burden becomes unbearable. There's a political uprising. And in the Middle Ages, everybody knew who uh, who were the creditors were. They were the Jews and the Jews got expelled because the people knew that they were grinding the whole. They were the economy was grinding to a halt because of debt. Nothing so has was, changed. Yeah. Right. Nothing has changed. I went to Occupy Wall Street. And it was basically 20 year olds holding up one of two signs. One sign was or, that, or let's combine the two of them. I'm fifty thousand dollars in debt and all I can get is an unpaid internship. In other words, a, a usury again now in the educational system uh, and a contraction in the economy. And the result is they have debts and they can't get jobs. That's what caused that protest. And it was it was allowed to be a kind of media circus for a while. And then the cops came in and broke it up. Right. That's a lot of people, a lot of people have just become slaves. I mean, like take my mortgage, for instance, by the end of it, I'll be I'll, I'll have already paid twice what the the house costs. I think a lot of people understand that. Now, on the flip side of that, we also have communism. And I want to get to the Russian Revolution here. 
People say that the Russian Revolution involved a lot of of Jews at the head, but I think that this might just be a bunch of anti-Semites claiming this. You want to give me your uh, your thoughts on this? Yes, uh, Bolshevism was a Jewish movement. But but, but, but let's back up a little bit. Menshevism was a Jewish movement. What what do I mean by a Jewish movement? Was every Bolshevik a Jew? No, no. Does that mean it could have succeeded without Jewish help? Well, no, that's the other side of the coin. So you have someone like Stalin. Uh, You had this revolutionary ferment beginning in Russia with the partition of Poland. When the Poles, the the Poland was the paradisus judaeorum and the Jews had their own legal system and they had more freedom there than any other country in the world. And they all lived on the eastern border of Poland. When Poland was uh, partitioned, these Jews now ended up on the western border of Russia and they had no rights and they were unhappy. And as a result, the revolutionary ferment started almost immediately. And then these, because they're on the Western border, they become the vehicle for not only subversive ideas, but things like dynamite. Dynamite made its first entry into Russia in Jewish hands, and it was used uh, as a weapon against the czar to try and assassinate the czar. Okay. What becomes clear, Eric Haber has done a very good book on this. Anytime that the, the, the czar or the Okhrana tried to crack down on Jewish revolutionary activity, the Jews would disappear into the shtetls and no one could find them. Without that safety valve, this, Jew, this, this revolutionary movement would not have succeeded. And at that point, it did, at a certain point, it did succeed. And these people then became, took control of Russia and then they started to persecute the native people. Now, this is not me saying this. Again, this is uh, Salo Baron, who wrote a history of the Soviet Union, and he said basically that the Cheka, which was the early version of the KGB, uh, the secret police, uh, was staffed by Jews because the Russians would not take the job because Russians would not torture other Russians. Russians would not murder other Russians. This is why the Jews had to do it. This is Salo so Baron. Am, mer- so- am, am I being called an anti-Semite now because I'm quoting a Jewish historian here? Well, actually, uh, the, the, where I got this from was uh, something that the ADL wrote. I believe it was the ADL who wrote who wrote about you saying that the Russian Revolution was a Jewish revolution and calling that anti-Semitic. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and sort of the brief history of that. And sort of playing off of that, currently, as you probably know, Ukrainians are commemorating the Holodomor genocide which had a death toll of around 12 million, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, and worse than any other genocide in history as far as death toll and some of the atrocities that occurred there. Um, The ADL's Abe Foxman once went to to Ukraine, directly to Ukraine, to tell them to stop commemorating the Holodomor, to stop comparing the Holodomor to the Holocaust. Um, What what do you think about the Holodomor? Was it a, a... was it committed by Jews, like many people say? Who was say, responsible was the... for it? Who was in charge of the Holodomor? Lazar Kaganovich. What was he? He was a Jew. Now, is that anti-Semitic? Is it anti-Semitic to say that? Well, you're going to have to come up with a really long list of things that we're not allowed to say. And I'm saying it's not going to work. 
It's got the only way this works is if you internalize it all on your own voluntarily. Once you start, once they start talking about hate speech laws, the cat's out of the bag and it's not going to work. It's not going to work in the United States of America. I guarantee you that it's not going to work we, because what you're doing here is you're bumping up against uh, religious freedom. I mean, what, the people who came here, they were, they were Judaizers, the Puritans, if you look at uh, places like New England. You know, they admired the Jews, but they didn't want other people telling them what to do. And so more, the more people came here, the more we had to come to some type of peace, uh, 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 articles of peace to uh, talk about religion, to adjudicate uh, religious conflict. So I'm now in a situation where I get a call from this guy, uh, Dr. Michael Brown, who's, you know, he's real chummy with me and we're just going to have a pleasant discussion here. And as soon as I start to uh, explicate my understanding of the Bible, in particular, uh, the passage from St. Paul, 1 Thessalonians 2, which says basically the Jews are the people who killed Christ and they are enemies of the entire human race. He gets upset. First of all, you can't use the word Jews, the Jews. Simply, if you say the Jews, you're an anti-Semite. Well, Dr. Brown, you use the term all the time. You say the Jews are smart. The Jews won all these Nobel Prizes. In other words, it's okay to say the word the Jews if you praise them. If you hold them accountable for anything that is uh, 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 bad, then you're an anti-Semite. Okay, so I say right. the Jews... The Jews are the people that killed Christ and they're enemies of the entire human race. Then he says to me, no, it's not the word the Jews. We're talking about Judeans. Wait a minute. Where'd you get that word? It turns out it's one translation, one translation of the Bible, uh, which uh, I forget the new, the revised St. James, uh, uh, King James Version says Judeans. I said, well, wait a minute. I know the Greek. The Greek is hoi judeoi. It's just it's translated normally as the Jews. Okay, so that goes nowhere. So what, what you're saying now here is that uh, if you don't agree, it's, it's okay, the first one, you know, uh, it, an anti-Semite used to be someone who hated Jews. Well, that's gone. Then it became someone who criticized Jews. Okay, that makes you an anti-Semite. And now it's going even further with people like Dr. Brown. If you disagree with a Jew, if you disagree with a Jew who, who, who doesn't like your interpretation of Scripture, then you're an anti-Semite. Well, I mean, it's getting pretty, it's getting pretty claustrophobic here. I mean, you're really pushing the, to the limits here because this country was created by people who came here for to 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 escape from this type of religious type of uh, tyranny and browbeating? And now you're you're saying you're accusing me of being an anti-Semite, okay? Because I disagree with your interpretation of One Thessalonians two. That's not where it stops, though. Okay. Of course not. Next day, right. two days after I do this, there's the Poway shootings, and then uh, uh, Dr. Brown is saying I'm responsible for the Poway shootings because of the way I talked, because of my interpretation of 1 Thessalonians 2. Now, this is outrageous. This is completely outrageous, uh, an outrageous violation of, of the discourse we're supposed to have. Wholeheartedly. Okay? And, then, and, then, and, and so then it doesn't stop there. Now, remember what he said, there's no such thing as the Jews. Well, there is such a thing as the Jews, and this is how it works. So he calls me an anti-Semite, 
And then two days after the Poway shooting, Rep, uh, Ambassador Danon comes over from Israel and he says, the time for talk is over. We're going to criminalize anti-Semitism. So this is how it works. You know, the Jews dribble the ball down the court and they pass it from one to the other. And so it goes from now, I begin by disagreeing with his interpretation of scripture and it ends up I'm going to go to jail because I don't agree with his interpretation of 1 Thessalonians 2. Now, this has got to stop. Yeah, I think, well, here in America, we have laws already. Here, I mean, here in America, Ron DeSantis recently signed a bill in, in uh, Jerusalem, I believe it was, and then came back to Florida and signed a bill. And, and essentially what it said was, and we have this up on the redelephants.com, that, um, that you, effectively you can't say mean things about the group that they call Jews. And then also in 26 states, we have laws against boycotting Israel where you won't receive a government contract if you— if you are found to have boycotted Israel in the past. And Dan Crenshaw was asked about things like this, was asked about certain laws like this, and he says that it actually doesn't go against the First Amendment. It doesn't go against free speech, right? And this is a guy who vowed to defend the Constitution, to defend America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And he's saying that a law that says that you cannot boycott Israel, that you cannot say mean things about a certain group of people here, does not go against the First Amendment. This, to me, is one of the biggest uh, things for me, is that you sh- it's the only group, right? And it's the only genocide. It's not. If you question the numbers of the Armenian genocide, if you deny the Armenian genocide outright, you will not be arrested in certain European countries. You won't be reprimanded here socially in America. You can question the Cadian massacre in Poland. You can question the Holodomor. You can question the communist massacres. You can question what Trotsky did. You can question, you can completely deny the Armenian genocide or deny the Holodomor. You will not be reprimanded. You will not be punished. You will not, no one will look twice or think twice about what you said about those particular genocides. But in European countries, the there is only one specific genocide where you cannot even question or make a joke. We saw with Nick Fuentes recently. He made a joke or that was like in reference to the numbers. He didn't deny the Holocaust. He made a, a joke. And people are calling for him to be banned from social media. This is like programming. It, it's never made sense to me. It's This whole thing has never made sense to me. Um, speaking about certain genocides throughout history... I want to play a clip, which you're probably not going to be able to hear, and then I want to switch gears. I want to show you what I sent to my deacon, what I said to my deacon the other day. Um, So let me go ahead and pull this up here, this video. I'm going to play this uh, quick clip. This is about the uh, Russian Revolution and in relation to the Holodomor, who the Ukrainians are commemorating right now. Some victims in Kiev were placed in a coffin with a decomposing body and buried alive, only to be dug up after half an hour. Lenin was still not satisfied with this and reported, more power to the terror. The Bolsheviks would eliminate every free thinker. Trotsky wanted every individual to be a rootless soldier of labor. And he thought that all those demanding free speech, free press, and free trade unions should be shot like dogs. If ordered to move, they were forced to obey. If they refused, they were deserters who would be punished with death. Every move was at gunpoint. Trotsky often executed his victims personally in the most cruelest ways. He happily ordered disciplinary executions and he 
even ordered children murdered. Officers and their families were executed for disobeying orders. The Jew Grigory Sinoniev, real name Hirsch Apfelbaum, as head of the Communist International, wrote in an article in the Draznaya Gazeta in Moscow, September 1, 1918. We will make our hearts cruel, hard, and immovable, so that no mercy will enter them, so that they will not quiver at the sight of the sea of enemy blood. We will let loose the floodgates of that sea. Without mercy, without sparing, we will kill our enemies in scores of hundreds. Let them be thousands. Let them drown themselves in their own blood. Let there be floods of blood of the bourgeoisie. More blood, as much as possible. So this video was about the, and let me just turn, I know the volume was very low and you probably couldn't hear it. I have to figure that out for later for when I have guests on again. But uh, this video was about the the Bolshevik Revolution, Trotsky, and some of the things that Elfbaum said. And it specifically went over the history and, and some of the atrocities that happened in, in this massacre. Uh, it also talked about calling anyone who was against the the, the the revolution, basically calling anyone who was for free markets, things like this, anti-Semitic, using these labels. These are communist tactics. We know these are communist tactics, right? Using the word, the term racist, anti-Semitic, things like this. These are communist tactics that have been used for decades upon decades upon decades. And questioning, just merely questioning or denying some of these atrocities that were caused by the, the Bolsheviks, in the Russian Revolution, the Holodomor, the Cadian Massacre in Poland, things like this. This is not illegal in any country. This is not even frowned upon in any country. To me, it is the weirdest thing um, that you cannot tell the truth, that you cannot question certain groups of people and certain events that have occurred throughout history, and there's laws against it. Tell us a little bit about what you know about uh, Trotsky before we switch gears. Trotsky, whose real name was Bronstein, and the Bolshevik Re Revolution, and some of the terms that we're hearing today, anti-Semitic racism, uh, things like this. Who was behind the this all, this Bolshevik rev Revolution? Um, first of all, that film is called The Czechist. I, I, I saw the film. It's a, Rus it's a Russian film, and it's about the Cheka. I've already mentioned the Cheka. It was the secret police. And what right. you saw in this, these, this film was the graphic uh, repre representation of the basement of the Lubyanka prison where people would just be summarily executed uh, by, by Jews. It was Jews who were in charge of, of this, this operation. And this is part of the... the um, and specifically calling people anti-Semitic who were promoting like free markets and things like this. This, the, the, first of all, we have to go back and understand that there are two sides to this coin. Uh, right. I, I, just, I deal with this in, um, in the, the Jewish revolutionary spirit. So Balzac is walking through uh, Paris and he sees James Rothschild and Heinrich Heine walking arm in arm. We know who Rothschild was. He was the scion of the big banking family, right. the big usurer. Heinrich Heine was a German revolutionary, also a Jew. And, and Balzac says, uh, voila, tout l'esprit juif. This is the, the complete, the, the Jewish spirit. In other words, it's, it's a financier and a revolutionary working together, working together. This is what we're seeing right now. We have basically a, a worldwide revolution going on right now as we're talking. 
uh, with a, co a combination of the CEO and the homosexual. The homosexual is the proxy warrior of the CEO. The CEOs in question uh, are oftentimes uh, Jewish operations. So we have a, 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 an organization like Goldman Sachs, which is a big promoter of um, homosexual marriage and homosexual rights. This is going on right now. It's the same type of plan, except that it's been broadened to include other other groups of people. Right. That's what that's what's going. That's the the, the revolutionary movement in our day. It's happening. It's happened within within uh, uh, years of when we're talking about. So, for example, the the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in uh, Indiana was passed by the 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 uh, people of Indiana, and it was overturned. Uh, by CEOs flying in and saying you have to, uh, you can't discriminate against homosexuals. You have to rewrite your law. It's a complete violation of any type of representative democracy. I, I just uh, finished a book by um, uh, John Waters in, in Ireland, a uh, journalist who wrote a book called "Bring Back the Bad Roads," which well, is basically about him. Why? His career being destroyed in Ireland because, uh, with a collab between uh, re by a collaborative effort of the the homosexual and the oligarchs who had taken over uh, Ireland because Ireland the Ireland Irish government invited them in with their low tax rate. They come in, they take over, and they end up gutting the the Irish constitution. It's the same type of thing. So with with Trotsky, you have his collaboration with Jacob Schiff. And the money that Schiff uh, sent over was used to basically fund the Russian Revolution. It could Jacob not have Schiff. happened. Interesting. I wonder if there's any relation to Adam Schiff today. That's a good. That's a good <laughs> question because because what you na have right now is a a a Jewish coup d'état. Uh, it's uh, Rick right. Wiles, who has also landed on the same list we landed on, has called the impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump a Jew coup. That's that's what's going. The, the, the tragedy of Donald Trump is that he uh, gave the Jews everything they wanted, and they still turned on him. So you know he he went out of his way. He he made a mess of the whole situation with Iran, which is much worse now than it was uh, before he took office. And why did why is it a mess? Well, because three rich Jews control the Republican Party and they control the foreign policy of the United States of America. I'm talking about Sheldon Adelson, uh, Paul Singer, and Bernard Marcus, all of whom basically delivered an ultimatum to Donald Trump that he had to get rid of the of the nuclear deal. So the world is on the brink of war once again in the Persian Gulf because the United States policy, foreign policy, is controlled by three rich Jews. And if you say that, you're an anti-Semite. So what you're well, doing? Well, Paul Singer was the guy who funded uh, the. Um, uh, what was the organization that they created with uh, Paul Singer, Bill Crystal? Oh gosh, what, now it's slipping my mind right now. What was the organization that they created? PNAC. No, not PNAC. That wasn't the PNAC. Was the what the heck? What was the organization that uh, they tried to create? They they tried to revamp it just recently. Paul Singer pulled out, I think, late. Was Not the sure. uh, I can't remember the organization, but the the project for a new American century came from that, and Paul Singer tried to revamp the organization, or I'm sorry, Bill Crystal wanted to revamp the organization, and Paul Singer pulled out, and he was the money guy. But I'm I'm looking at this uh, 
you recently started writing for how do you pronounce this the un's un un's review yeah and there's an article there that says trump woos jews jews impeach trump and it goes on to talk about adam shift shifty shift as trump would say yeah that's Um, israel shamir what you're talking about right that's the israel shamir article right right israel shamir article correct yeah yeah well he ended up on the list too so oh did uh, he really he ended up on the adl list (laughs) yeah Gosh. Yeah. So Israel, Israel. Shamir, oh, he is on here. Okay, interesting. Israel yep. Shamir is as uh, a, a Russian who went to Israel. He was in the IDF uh, during the uh, the sixty seven war, and he realized that he was just a little pawn. The little Jews are pawns that move get moved around on the chessboard by the big Jews, and he eventually converted to Christianity. Is now a Russian Orthodox. Right, says a Jewish so, convert to Christianity. Right. So is 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 Israel Shamir an anti-Semite? Um, no, obviously not. I mean, there's many Jews who speak out against uh, about these Unz, things. Ron Unz is a Jew. He is so what, right. So what you're, right. Okay. So what you're seeing, what you're seeing here is a new. Yeah, Ron Unz is a Jew, and he's the one who invited me to 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 uh, be a contributor to his website. And the first thing I sent him was my article, Jewish Privilege. Which is also a a um, uh, an ebook that you can get on Amazon Kindle. So what what you're seeing here is a new configuration that's forming. The old configuration is the Republican Party, Charlie Kirk uh, turning point type of uh, what I call Coke sucker uh, conservatism, right. which is basically funded by the Koch brothers foundation and other big uh, capitalist foundations who then uh, get these people to, to shill for them. The people, uh, we saw that blow up uh, just this past uh, week or so, uh, when Charlie Kirk tried to bring on a black homosexual and say, if you guys want to be real conservatives, you have to accept homosexuality. And it blew up. You know, nobody was buying it. You know, so all the people that are leaking out of that organization, you're finding them leaking towards some, this configuration of uh, the UNS review. Now, a lot of the people who got named are contributors to the UNS review. Now, that's run by a Jew. And two of the people right. who are the ADL is banning are, are Jews. I mean, Israel Shamir is a Christian now, but he has a Jewish Israeli heritage. Gilad Osman right. is also on the list. And he's a Jew. So how can how can this be? And how can we be anti-Semitic? Here? You know, it's, it's interesting. The only possible? people that the only people that they don't say are anti-Semitic are the Jewish people listed on this list. That's funny. I didn't notice that before. How, because how, how can possible? they? Right. This is this is overreach. I'm sorry, Mr. Greenblatt, but you've got this is overreach. It's going to backfire on you. How can you accuse, let's say, a configuration like Unz Review that is uh, uh, created by a Jew with Jewish contributors? Uh, and yet is uh, how can you accuse this group of being anti-Semitic? What you're seeing here is that these are people who are fed up with the whole Israeli situation. They're fed up with the Jewish domination of America's foreign policy, causing one war after another in the Middle East. They're fed up with the whole attempt to uh, thwart the will of the American people by impeaching Donald Trump and so on and so forth. They're fed up and nature abhors a vacuum and that goes for politics. So when you have two parties that uh, both represent uh, the interest of the oligarchs and neither one is willing to criticize uh, Israel or question the amount of foreign aid that it's given, you're, you're creating a vacuum and that vacuum is being filled. And UNS review, 
uh, and uh, this group of people is one of the one of the groups that's filling it. Okay, so so yeah, it was the Project for New American Century, the think tank that was created by Will, Bill Crystal and Robert Kagan. And it talks about the 25 Jewish neocons who signed PNAC's founding statement of principles that went on to 10 of them went on to serve in the uh, administration of, of George W. Bush, which a lot of people claim, you know, Paul Wolfowitz, uh, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, all these different people were sort of the architects of the Iraq war. And the new organization I was talking about that was called the Foreign Policy Initiative, which was originally funded by Paul Singer. And created again by Bill Crystal and Robert Kagan, and it dissolved. The Foreign Policy initi- Initiative dissolved in 2017. And there's a quote from Paul Singer here that say that that says that with Trump in office, we won't be able to operate any longer. But it seems like, yeah, it seems like there's some sort of a war going on with with these these neocons, and and Donald well, they, Trump they, as far as like, all, the Middle East. There is a war. There is a war. Commentary, which is the the neocon flagship, um, Norman Pedaris was its editor for a long time. Uh, they're at war with Mr. Greenblatt. They hate Mr. Greenblatt. Uh, Mr. Green, Greenblatt came from the Obama administration. So once again, we are caught in this crossfire. There's a Jewish civil war going on, and we're caught in the crossfire here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what it seems like to me. Too like different factions fighting, much like. Back in history, if you look at sort of the social Zion, the socialist Zionists versus the the political Zionists, uh, it reminds me a lot of that. Now, I do want to get to I want to kind of switch gears here. I want to talk about uh, your book, Libido Dominandi and the sexual uh, sexual liberation and political control. If you guys don't have this book already, I really highly recommend getting this book. Now, um, I talked to my deacon recently. And you can see this up on screen, but the audience can't because I don't want to dox my deacon. <laughs> but my, I attended a mass this past weekend. And during mass, this is what I said to him. I noticed one part of your homily that bothered me a little bit. At one point, you said that Jesus could have risen up against his enemies, but just took what the Ro- Roman government did to him. And I said, the problem is that theologically, Matthew 27, 22 through 25 is pretty explicit in its explanation that it was the Pharisees. Historically, it's also the consensus that the Romans did not want to kill Jesus until they were pressured, pressured on several occasions by the Jewish Pharisees and other rabbinical dictators. It's not entirely too big of a deal, but I just noticed this. I am young. And most of other young Catholics I speak to are hesitant to attend the church because, of course, recent issues and also express qualms about the fear that some priests and deacons have to actually tell the truth about what's going on in media. So he responded and he said, thank you for your email. Basically what he says, and I don't want to read the whole email because it's kind of long, was that I didn't mean to, to make it sound that way. And he says, I love that you tied the crucifixion to the leaders of the Jews and not to the, quote, people of Israel. Many people sadly blame the Jews as a group. He says, however, since Vatican II, the church clearly teaches we cannot blame the people as a group. That blame rests with the leaders and the Stop. indifference of. Go ahead. I, this is what I wanted to ask you Stop. about. What is your. Go ahead. Tell us. Go ahead. Stop. Go, go off. Go off, King. Okay. Okay. The Second Vatican Council document, Nostra Aetate, says not all Jews at the time of Christ were responsible for his death. Okay, that says nothing about the leaders. First of all, you cannot be a leader unless you have followers. And the combination of leaders and followers is known as the Jews. That's the way it's referred to. 
So if you go back to that statement, not all Jews at the time of Christ are responsible for his death, means, if you've studied logic, some Jews at the time of his death were, uh, 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 at the time of Christ, were responsible for his death. Now, we can go work this back here. Now, which Jews are we talking about? Are we talking about the Blessed Mother? Did she yell, crucify him? Did St. John yell, crucify They were Jews, right? They were Jews. Did they yell? No, the, the Christians did not call for his crucifixion. What is the group? What is the group that did call for his crucifixion? It's the Jewish people. It's the Jews. It was a combination of leaders and people. The, co the collectivity is known as the Jewish people. And then they ratified it in the Gospel of St. Matthew and said, his blood be on us and our children. Now, this is the gospel you've got to deal with. This leader thing is not there. It's not there. And it's not in Nostra Tate either. Right. And so he went on. Let me just get back to my camera here. And he just basically said that, right? And then I said, uh, I do have one more question, if I may. How do we as Catholics reconcile with the fact that Matthew states that the Jewish people screamed, his blood will be on us and on our children? How do we also reconcile with the Talmud, which, which is placed above the Torah in Judaism, which states that Jesus is burning in hot excrement in hell because he was claiming that he was the son of God? I sometimes find myself resentful of the modern-day Pharisees, and I don't want to be. I know that resentment is a sin, and we should love our enemies. But I keep seeing a lot of them, a lot of, of what people are putting in uh, movies, media, academia, and I sort of go on, uh, you know, a long list of different things that are going on here. And so that's basically, and you kind of covered that where Matthew says uh, that the people said that his blood will be on us and on our children. And so this is basically so what when, I wanted to address. When we say with, the Jewish people, do we mean every single Jew? No, of course no, not. No, 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 of course not. Right. Of right. course not. The Blessed Mother was Jewish and she didn't call for his crucifixion. The, the key to understanding this is that passage in the Gospel of St. John where the parents of the man born blind refused to speak out of fear of the Jews because the Jews threatened to expel from the synagogue anyone who said that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, they were Jewish. So why are they talking about fear of the Jews? Because Jew, by the end of the Gospel of St. John, means those members of the Jewish people who rejected Christ. They are the Jewish people now. The people who accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, they were every bit as Jewish, but they're known as Christians. They're known as the Catholic Church. They are the children of Moses. They are the true children of, uh, of Israel. They are the true Israelites. And uh, they belong to the new covenant, and they belong to the new Israel. This is You have to understand this if you want to understand the, the course of human history. Now, the fact that we have had 50 years of misrepresentation of a document that anyone can read and come to the common sense of that document shows you how brainwashed we have been during this time, we Catholics have been during this period of time. 
Right, exactly. And the, and the, but that's my thoughts on this as well. He did include a section of the catechism which says 386 which you were talking about here still less can we extend responsibility to other Jews of different times and places may spiritually on the crowds cry his blood be on us and on our children a formula for ratifying a judicial sentence as the church declared at the Second Vatican Council neither all Jews indiscriminately at the time nor Jews today can be charged with the crimes committed during his passion the Jews should not be spoken of as rejected or accursed as if this followed from holy scripture. Now I do want to I do want to kind of uh change courses to the last topic and talk about sexual liberation and political control. Um I want to get your thoughts on I want to get your thoughts on pornography and what you think that we can do about pornography. Um because there was a recent psychology today study and I went over this on my main channel on YouTube about how it says that watching pornography makes men more docile, makes them more accepting of women in the workplace, makes them more accepting of sexual uh, degeneracy, makes them more accepting of multiculturalism, egalitarianism, things like this. Um, What are your thoughts on pornography? Some people say that... uh, that 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 you know th- this has nothing to do with this these th- these two things are non sequiturs some people say like yourself says that pornography is a wo- a weapon that is used against us give us your insight on that yeah well at the beginning of libido dominandi uh i talk about the israelis going into ramallah taking over the tv stations and broadcasting pornography why did they do that if it's that's the proof that it's a weapon, it's a psychological weapon, a weapon of in the arsenal of psychological warfare. So to jump to the present right now, I just did a show with some people who were talking about how there are 20 year olds now who are awakening to the fact that they are addicted to pornography and they're swearing off pornography and masturbation for the month of November. Now, no one caused them. I certainly didn't uh, create this campaign. But I think what happens is once that idea gets out there that sexual liberation is a form of political control, it spreads because it's true. And people, once you hear that and you're in that horrible situation of addiction, you say, yeah, I understand what he's saying. I'm in that situation. And then the next step is, well, what am I going to do about it? And people are starting to act. And so that's causing consternation among the same group of people. So there actually was an article in Rolling Stone condemning all these people for not watching pornography. You're not a good citizen. You're not doing what you're told. You're not a docile wage slave and sex robot, which is your destiny, according to the people who control uh, the, the, the culture. So it's there's an awakening going on, and it has to do with Logos and an understanding that there is an order to uh, to the universe, and you, there could there can be an order to your life as well, and you can lead a successful life if you connect with that order of the universe. And we know that that Logos uh, is a living human being, and uh, he appeared in the flesh here two thousand years ago. Right, Logos is rising. I, I agree completely. I think that you know. I think that the Rolling Stones magazine recently called the Coomer meme and sort of no nut November sort of this idea as anti-Semitic, which is another example of anti-Semitic just meaning everything now. Not watching porn is anti-Semitic. Calling for a ban on pornography is anti-Semitic. The Coomer meme is anti-Semitic. 
And yeah, all, uh, this also comes from uh, Wilhelm Reich, uh, who elaborated this idea in the mass psychology of fascism. It also made it into print with the, the all, all of the the Jews who were in the Frankfurt School brought, got brought over by the American Jewish Committee and they got put to work in New York City and they came up with a book called The Authoritarian Personality, which is basically you need to spread sexual deviance in order to thwart another return of Hitler. When it turns out the exact <laughs> opposite is true. One of the main right. forces that propelled Hitler into power was German disgust at, at, at the Jewish takeover of their culture and the Jewish spread of obscenity during the Weimar Republik. And if there was one man that, if, if he didn't exist, Hitler would have to invent him. It was Magnus Hirschfeld, who was the director of the Institut für Sexualwissenschaft in, in Berlin. He's the type of person, this is what put Hitler into power. It wasn't the opposite. It wasn't pious Bavarians obeying their parents. No, it was the exact opposite. And now we understand the true dynamic and we're talking about it in public. And that's why they want to shut us down. You know, speaking of, of, of Hitler and World War II and things like this, do you think that World War II couldn't have happened if if it weren't for World War One, I? I know Patrick Buchanan talks about this in his book, the unnecessary yes. war. If 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 World War One didn't happen, would World War Two have happened? Absolutely not. I right. mean, the simplest example is basically the the Versailles Treaty. The Versailles Treaty. Treaty Versailles, was, right. uh, this this punitive treaty caused enormous resentment. The the demand, the outrageous demand for reparations, uh, the 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 dismembering of of Germany. Uh, all of this caused huge resentment, and, and Hitler capitalized on that resentment, and it propelled him into power. So, no, it would have right. been impossible without World War I. Yeah, there was a—you know what? There was a—let me see. Do I have that video here? I don't think I have that video here. But, yeah, I talked about the Balfour Declaration and, and the Rothschilds. I had a clip that I wanted to play, but the volume, for some reason, are too low on the on these clips. I'll probably save it for later. But um, I want to I want to thank you for for joining us today. Do you want to uh, tell us where they can find your books and w what website people should go to? Yes, go to culturewars.com and help establish secure channels of communication. Uh, you can buy a book there, then you will get on our list, and you won't be on Google's list. Uh, the you can also sign up for the the Logos book. Uh, which will be out uh, at the beginning uh, of the next next year. We're putting in the final corrections. We're getting the cover. We're putting it all together. This is this is a a book that is hopeful. It, it's right. hopeful. I, I I I just have this sense of hope right now. I I I I think we're experiencing the death throes of a regime that's lost its control over the mind of its people, and all of this. Uh, screaming on the part of organizations like the ADL is just an, an example of how they've lost control and they're trying to use brutal force and it's not going to work because Logos is rising. Right. I agree 100%. Thank you for taking the time today, uh, E. Michael Jones. I appreciate My it. My pleasure.